Welcome to AIs and with Andrew and Jen, a podcast where a designer and a data scientist break it down and duke it out over how to create awesome AI experiences. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to another AI Zen with Andrew and Jen. It, Jen, it's been too long. This is our fourth episode of the year. I miss you. I miss the listeners. I miss everything. I hate this virus, but I'm so glad we're back. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I feel like maybe you're not as big of a hermit as I am. Like Maybe you're more extroverted um, because I'm loving it. I just love it. <laughs> not having to leave and not having to change my clothes. So good. Let's pretend like I didn't say that. Let's go back to yes. <laughs> it's interesting that for some of us, this has been a step up for some, a step sideways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but interesting all around. And we survived last week, so that's good. And I hope you had a good weekend. I had a great weekend, refreshed, ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Big weekend. So I, I'm excited to to talk about a couple topics that have been on my mind for for a little while, and we've we've had a hard time getting this one scheduled. Um, but what kind of prompted me to, um, or the the topic that came to my mind was a couple weeks or maybe months ago at this point, I found myself uh, working with new technology, new for me, and uh, that technology was Kubernetes. I was developing an internal application, and uh, I knew I had to deploy it on Kubernetes, and I knew at a broad level how everything works. You know, I've been through the education, I've been through um, lots of tutorials about, hey, this is how you think about Kubernetes, and I was I was all ready to go with this thing, and it just came to the part where, okay, you've got to deploy it, and I said, oh, I better I better look up a tutorial to for for how to deploy this thing. And it turned out that every single tutorial I wanted to follow was starting at step two. And I was doing a great job finding out step two, step three, step four, step five, step six, and so on. And you know, they, they totally mapped to my mental model. I was like, yep, I, 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 those steps make sense. I understand why I need to do those. And I just didn't know where to start. I didn't know what I had to first do. And I thought, what an interesting, uh, what an interesting predicament to find myself in. Uh, I think this is pretty common in in the tech world, right? Where you find an article and it's it's almost what you need, but not quite. Right? You're missing that yeah. one step. And uh, you know, as uh, you know, technology authors, I think they often think, well, I'm just going to start where I think you need to start, um, and it's a guess, right? But it's it's um, more focused on almost where you want to start telling the story versus where, um, you know, where the story needs to pick up to be useful. I think that's so true. The um, the missing step I'm always forgetting is is it plugged in? Did was that the missing step? Like, is it turned on? No, no, that was that was not the missing step. Oh, uh, I could have helped with that. Uh, <laughs> I think even the word Kubernetes, and you you start to like even think about what it is, and it's just it's an intimidating word even to start with. I had to write like a whole article about what the heck is a Kubernetes, and then it just turned into this big long stream of conscious. It took like four days to unravel what the heck is Kubernetes. I'll put the link up, but it's a thing, and it's just to make sure that like for anybody who doesn't know, it's so uh, your stuff doesn't crash when somebody makes an update to it, like you're, you're, you made another, another 
design update and you made your poor developer update the system again and then everything crashed and went bad. Kubernetes is one part of the problem and not making everything crash for everybody. Did I say that right? You're you're close. So I think there, there's a lot of that that's true. And I, I think you know the, the, the major benefit is that it's easier to deploy and manage once you're up and running. So if oh, you've got well, that's, like, that's like the meta reason. It's so like our our IT people don't go insane for yeah. one. Yeah, mainly that. And, and so when, when I knew I needed to start with this thing, it was because, hey, I wanted this thing self-managed. Uh, I wanted to push an update and then not have to worry about, you know, boy, should I have done four CPUs or eight CPUs or, or whatever, right? That I could very easily change that after the fact. So I was, I was great to go on that. And, and actually, my specific concern was this internal application was dealing with some pretty sensitive data. So I didn't want to publish anything out to uh, any sort of cloud, even an, an IBM cloud, uh, until I knew exactly how it worked. And so I was very concerned about, hey, do I push this thing out? Um, is there a window where I've pushed something to the cloud and it's exposed to other people? Right. Data masking. Data masking. Yeah, yeah. So I just uh, learned that term. I'm so excited about it. You were um, not sure it would hold. I, I should have asked you. That would have saved me some time. <laughs> <laughs> Container platform manager data masking. And you were like, yes, Jen, yes. <laughs> so I, I eventually found out that um, you, you essentially have to enable any traffic into it. So um, it, it would have been fine to push it because no one could have gotten to it anyway. But at the time, I, I couldn't quite find something that would tell me that, right? I, would, mm-hmm. I found lots of things about step one, or sorry, step two and three and so on. Um, but that was that was an interesting, uh, interesting experience for me. And, and so what I reflected upon uh, for this and what's driving sort of the rest of the show is you know, whenever we're uh, developing or designing or, or, or anything like that, you know, we have some implicit assumptions uh, going on. We have some implicit biases uh, and so forth. And the whole point of these things being called biases and assumptions is that you don't know <laughs> that, that you're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the people who wrote the articles that I was following, they thought they did a great job. And they did do a great job, uh, except that it wasn't what I particularly needed at the time. Yeah, they forgot that one thing because they weren't—they just weren't thinking about it. It was so obvious to them. Hopefully, maybe they didn't know the first step either. But this is such a good topic because it's so designy. It's so about like why we do user research and why we do user thinking and like all the sometimes funny. <laughs> sometimes sad things that happen because we are so biased long live the robot apocalypse i, I think they're only funny in retrospect after enough time has passed <laughs> are you okay now <laughs> and otherwise they're just kind of they're almost sad you know at, at the time right that oh my gosh no one in the room thought of this so yeah you had a couple of great examples you want to go through some of these yeah let's do examples let's do funny ones first Okay. Yes, Andrew, let's go through some mature examples of assumptions. So the first one uh, was uh, the um, <laughs> using the bathroom in space. Yay. 
so uh, uh, unfortunately, uh, the 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 folks who who were designing the the first space systems, they were entirely focused on uh, how we're going to handle male astronauts out in space, mm-hmm. and they came up with a lot of uh, a lot of fantastic te- technology. I'm sure for for how to handle the problem of waste, um, but it was entirely male focused, right? And uh, these the the solutions that they're building are very expensive, right? I mean, to, a toilet in space or or a spacesuit. This is all very very expensive stuff, and I'm sure they had a room full of people coming up with these solutions. And at the end of the day, they came up with something that works for only half of the planet. It's such an apropos conversation. Do you know that this weekend was the 20th anniversary of the International Space Station? I did not know that. It was. Yay. 20 years of men in space because not only did we only design the toilets for women, we also only designed the spacesuits for women or for men. So, um, yeah, that's been an ongoing problem for 20 years. And I feel like we just kind of started uncovering that a year or two ago. So now ISS toilets for for other genders besides men, which is exciting and a lot less messy on the space station, which is good. It'll last for another 20 years, hopefully. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder how, how many missions were... Um, they, they could have sent women up and they, they didn't because they didn't have this, this detail handled well, or, or it was an additional burden, right. For the, the female astronauts. Yeah, it is. It's a really crazy story. And again, like pretty apropos because sadly for the first time we finally have a female in the white house and it, as, as exciting as it is, it's also kind of like disappointing. Like you said about like, well, I wish they had thought of that before because it seems like such a basic first step, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Progress with things. And this is my ongoing reason for optimism that we've made plenty and plenty of mistakes before, but it seems like if, if you said today, I'm I'm going to build a spacesuit, um, I feel someone would raise their hand and say, that's only going to work for the guys. Yeah. And not only maybe just guys, but also like, what about short people or people, you know, with different numbers of appendages and different, I don't know what else there. That's the other thing about, you know, not opening your mind up and to all the different possibilities, because who knows, like what a culture, how, how might your culture affect the way you would design a space suit or a space toilet? Lots of lots of things to consider. So maybe there are some new design positions coming open at NASA, which would be exciting. I, I would hate to lose you to NASA, but they would be their gain. Oh no, we're going together. We're going together. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Let's do it. To space and beyond. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Um uh, speaking of fun funny-ish, uh sexism in product designs. I came across this one that I hadn't heard of before. You hear all kinds of things about Barbie being sexist, but um, I didn't know about Hello Barbie. Hello Barbie was a talking Barbie doll. She had 8,000 phrases programmed into her, but the word fashion appears more than any other noun in her vocabulary. Like, 51 times out of the 100 things she says, it's going to be related to fashion. Um, 
So like if you were a kid and talking to your Barbie, uh, she'll frequently interrupt conversations to direct them toward what she presumes uh, is a more fashionable subject instead. She's actually programmed to say things like, we've been talking a bit about school. Why don't we try on something else for size? And then she laughs. <laughs> Let's talk about fashion. So not that there's anything wrong with fashion other than it seems a little, again, presumptive if, you know, they think people that play with Barbies only are interested in that topic to the point where they only want to talk about that 50% of the time. That, that's, that's, a, that's another groaner. Um, I, I want to give you one more Barbie example. This is from a couple years ago. There was, I believe it was a book, um, and Barbie had to do some sort of software project. And uh, in the book, it, it essentially Barbie felt, hey, this is too hard. And she went to one of her friends and it was Steve or Al or, or, or some guy. And um, in the book, he kind of did it, did the assignment for her and or he did the technical parts. And oh another, another awful story, but there's a positive twist to this one. So so the Internet was was, um, you know, they, they tore this book apart. And what was a very common thing for for a while was uh, they would share the book with the, the 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 word bubbles, but all the words taken out, right? And uh, so you'd see the picture of Barbie holding a CD and looking at her friend, and you know where before she said, "Oh, thanks, Steve, for doing all the work," something like that. She would do stuff like, "Steve, you idiot, you can't push directly to get matter." <laughs> <laughs> And so it was a brilliant role reversal on the you know traditional stereotype. It was it was nice to see, and you know it showed you just how 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 awful the, the stereotypes were on this original uh, you know this original book. But that you know someone had the presence of mind to say it could have gone the other way, right? And yeah. the one with the expertise and you know teaching her friends, and you know frankly that's that's the way it's going a, a lot more uh, often lately. God bless the internet trolls. Sometimes they just, they really hit the nail on the head. <laughs> um, there was another one I found out about. Did you know, how, how many times have you seen a female crash test dummy? Well, that was a good question. Mm -hmm. For a long time, the answer was zero. And that is why pregnant women are 47% more likely to be injured in a car crash. No pregnant crash test dummies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Things. They did, and that didn't happen until we didn't have female crash test dummies until 2011. So yay, 2020. Fine. <laughs> Finally, small progress. It doesn't make me feel good about, you know, our space cars coming anytime soon though. No, no. The space cars are a bit away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so you had also brought up some really interesting ones that I didn't know about. Speaking of, um, you know, <laughs> things that I don't know about, like Kubernetes. But tell me, remind me a little bit about the the GitHub scenario. Yeah, that one was pretty heavy. Yeah. So let let me tr transition to this one first. So so you know we've been talking a lot about product design, um, and and sort of finished products or or things that you might find uh, externally, but. Um, the the topic I had in mind was re related to sort of in more internals, tooling, conversations you're having while you're building things, right? Mm -hmm. And one that that's been pretty um, 
that's received a lot of attention lately is sort of an inclusive terminology or thinking about what are what are like the baggages associated to words that that we've used in the industry forever um, but that um, you know for for certain groups it's it's you know it's offensive flat out or it's just slightly discomforting or you know it, it has some connotations that the people who came up with it um, may not have been aware of. I don't think these people ever intended any harm, um, but they, they didn't know. And, uh, you know, every day, some folks who, who would use these tools or, or hear this language, it was just kind of like a little poke, right? It's, um, it's you know, think about like Chinese water torture. You know, it's just a drip of water, right? How bad is a drip of water? Well, <laughs> if you're getting dripped a thousand times and you never know when it's coming, um, it can drive you crazy. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so for me, that that's why it's why it's important. Um, the 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 biggest example that was going through the tech community was um, in um, when you're using Git, which is a, a very popular source control platform. There's uh, a place that you store your code, and uh, the the name of it historically has been master. It's been the master branch, mm-hmm. and. There's uh, there was some discussion. Hey, why did they call it master? And um, or what does it mean? And when you asked most people what it meant, they said, "Well, it's like the master copy, right? It's it's the one that you copy from. It's the one that you pull source code from. Um, it's the one you make changes from. All that kind of stuff. And you know that that kind of makes sense. Um, but there's there's also um, some connections to master slave terminology. Yeah, because uh, it's a, you, you could think of it the same way, right? The master gives the instructions, the slave uh, is is told what to do, and boy, that's that's kind of a nasty way to think about, you know, how how you work in technology, right? Uh, and so, I was trying to describe what the master branch was, and it's it's funny, you know, how how you describe it. You can use the the word master in other other connotations, but the other way that you can think of it is it's the main branch. It's the one that you start from. Um, it's the one everybody looks to. It's the one that's mirrored into production. And it turns out almost any of those other words are more inclusive ways of, of thinking about that, right? So uh, in, in fact, GitHub has, uh, I think they've, they've finished that when you create a, a new project in GitHub, the default's gonna be the main branch now instead of the master branch. That, you know, those microaggressions, I just, I'm I'm just going to be honest, like I never stopped to think about, and I don't just mean racism Mm -hmm. in our world surrounding us every day, but all kinds of things we do to each other. And I just don't know if, you know, obviously like a lot has happened this year to bring our attention to this, as well as given us time to re-examine it. And I've done so much reverse engineering of my own mind and researching the whole anti-racism movement. And just, it's just so prevalent. Like you just aren't even aware of it before. And I don't think like, I don't know if anybody would have listened to these conversations 10 years ago. Yeah. And and when, when this came up, you know, the, the primary, there was two kind of complaints that came up. Number one is, Hey, that's not what it means. It means it's the master copy, you know, don't be so sensitive as such. Yeah. 
Right. Which, you yeah. know, let, let's set that one aside for, for a minute. I, I, I don't, you know, <laughs> I don't condone that point of view. But the, mm-hmm. the, the second one is, do you have any idea how many places I have to go change when I, mm-hmm. when I change the name of my branch? Like from a nuts and bolts point of view, um, it's a bit of a pain in the neck. And when I say a pain in the neck, I mean, like, this is a thankless afternoon of going to all the repositories um, one might manage and one might interact with, right? And, uh, you know, not to to make it a bigger or a little deal, but, uh, you know, who has a couple hours to deal with this kind of stuff? So I think there there was some resistance just based on, hey, this is a lot of work for, for me, and there's no apparent gain, right? For for me, as someone who's not affected by this language. Yeah. I mean, you work in product development, you know, like we have enough trouble getting important, like obvious big changes that everyone immediately agrees need done, prioritized, much less socially important changes. They're not going to make anybody any money. It's going to be about being a better community. Yeah. That's really hard. Yeah, yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's no, there's no money, or at least not directly, right? But yeah. by by making it, um, you know, making other people feel more comfortable, it, it's all going to pay off downstream. So, so for me, as someone who had, I don't know how many repositories, I, I had to update a bunch, right? And I didn't get them all. I'll be, you know, I'll be honest, I didn't get them all yet because I've got a lot of people who don't even know how to use Git, and I have to explain them. Not only am I changing a repository, I'm renaming stuff. And, and now you have to, there's two things you don't understand. Um, but, but for me, every time I start typing in, uh, I'm, I still have the muscle memory to type in master, right? And then I have to, you know, delete it and, and punch in main. Uh, yeah. And for me, that little, it's like a reverse microaggression because it reminds me, hey, what other things do you have an internal, you know, implicit bias about? What other assumptions that, that you have are causing you know extra work or extra discomfort or what have you to other people, right? Because I, yeah. I I never thought about master before. I'll be perfectly honest. Now now that someone raised the point that hey that's not so great, um, yeah it makes sense. And it uh, every time I got to think about what else what have I've been doing in the past day, a couple days, what you know what have you? How does that um, you know is, is there something behind that too? Yeah. I was I was looking into it. I mean, this topic only came up in 2018. GitHub only made the change, and they changed it to Trunk in 2019. Mm-hmm. Do you know why? Like, what was the ultimate reasoning behind? And it, it sounds like their CEO finally came down and made this decision. Um, but why they finally prioritized that? Like, what was the tipping point? Um. That's a that's a great question, but I I suspect it's it's just that um, you know s- someone had a a heart to heart and said you know what you know even though it's to to me the 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 words were were fine the way they were I can see how it affects other people yeah because because even if you'd asked me I would have said oh master master it means the master copy right and and perhaps that's what it means to ninety five percent of the users. Right, but why do we have yeah. to kick those five percent in the shins? Um, yeah. You know, they they perceive it the way they do, and that's that's completely fine, right? They they have history with the term, and I I understand that. So so why why not take the opportunity to to change it to something that's not going to cause anyone any pain? And, like I didn't love GitHub enough already, but wow, <laughs> it's really great. 
for me, I'll tra- I'll trade that lost afternoon, right? For for um, you know, to, to to help other people feel feel more welcome. That makes complete sense. Well, and OpenShift changed from whitelist and blacklist. Yep. To blocklist and allow list, and that, those are just two examples of what I'm sure is like just woven into the fabric of our daily lexicon. And and those that that's the example I go to is sort of the worst one because now that now that you hear there's alternatives, you think how could we have been so awful to say white was good and black was bad? Yes, like <laughs> you have to see the negative to see the positive. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's such man, it's. And what's what's even what's even worse, or uh, uh, you know, another just bad thing about this is when I when I say to you what's whitelist and what's blacklist, I, I have to describe it. Then I have to say, oh, well, whitelists are the people who are allowed to send you things, and blacklists are the people who are blocked. And I go, well, why don't you just call it blocklist and allow list from the beginning? Right. I don't want well, to <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah. So it's a real lousy one. We were offensive and not effective. That's you know. That's really bad. Things are changing, though. And I think that that, for me, is the biggest takeaway yep. from the last, whatever, 12 months is that we can change. It always felt like Mission Impossible, like Atlas moving a giant boulder up a hill to get some of these changes made. And suddenly, like on a on a day within 24 hours, everyone's working from home. Everyone's talking about things that we never talked about. But like, it's just, it's so heartening yeah. and lighter to see this. So yay for that big yay for that. And I, I don't know if you saw, but on one of our Slack channels, essentially, you know, the, the Watson team, they updated like all of their repositories one afternoon and they, really? they, they covered all these examples and like six or seven others and they just did it, like like you said. Hey, it's not an atlas <laughs> situation. It's hey, we're we're going to write a script. We're going to um, we're going to blast it out. We're going to if we cause any problems, we'll we'll help, right? But uh, I mean, people are pretty much uniformly behind it, and uh, you know, not not to say that it's uh, it's a, it's a monumental achievement, but it's a step in the right direction. And and in the end, hey, that's not so bad. Yeah, I um. This isn't going to be related to technology. This is just going to be my personal tangent. But I was passing through Alabama last summer, and we stopped by a new museum that opened called the Legacy Museum. I had never had an experience um, in understanding Black heritage from Africa all the way through to today, and the the slavery and the lynchings, and like just the like harsh reality of it, as I did in this gorgeous museum that has recently opened. And if you haven't heard about the Legacy Museum, go look it up online. Every single county in the United States has um, a, basically like a, what's that? What's the thing in uh, 2001 Space Odyssey? The, the monolith, the black monolith. Mm-hmm. They have a monolith for every county in the United States with the names of the slaves that were lynched in that county. Uh, and your county can call the Legacy Museum and have that monolith brought and installed in their county. And it's just, you see these just rows and rows of columns and it's just, it's chilling. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, look it up. It really opened my eyes. And I think that that's so much about empathy that we are, 
which was why I got into AI in the first place. Like we just, we need to understand things faster with more data. And uh, this is one very tangible way of doing that. Absolutely. So it, it really drives home, you know, when, when you're doing a design, when you're coming up with a decision, you know, look around the room, <laughs> you know, what do you, uh, do you have one perspective covered or do you, do you have a diverse set of perspectives covered? Cause it's amazing. You think, Oh no, we've, we probably got it, you know, and the, the little holes or cracks in your thinking, the blind spots. Yeah. Well, that leads right into, um, now that we're kind of closing up the hour, we were going to talk about some solves. We were also going to talk about doing some to be continued because this is such an, a big, important topic. I think you and I are both really passionate about it. And there's a lot more to say about this. Um, but yeah, if you're looking around the room and not seeing diversity, maybe next time we can talk a little bit about how AI is forcing that need for diversity, whether we're comfortable with it or not, onto our product teams, into our user research and into our data. Absolutely. That's going to be a great one. Yeah, it is. Um, we have research to do. We have research to do to make sure we're saying new, interesting stuff, because certainly there's a ton of information out there on this uh, right now. And I hope you're all participating and, and reading and enjoying it. Um, but before we wrap up, you had some announcements you wanted to make, which I'm dying to hear because you won't tell me what they are. <laughs> I want to do your announcement first. Okay. I'm so excited. So, so everyone who knows, who listens to the show, they know Jen, she's, she's very distinguished. Everyone knows that Jen is a designer, um, but they may not know that IBM took, uh, decided that they should put those two words together and call her a distinguished designer. And uh, it's not just wordplay, it's a really big deal. Jen, can you tell us what a dis- distinguished designer is? I actually feel like engineers are, so they're more qualified to talk about this because that was a new term to me when I came to IBM, but distinguished engineer, I guess, is something that's been a big deal in the engineering industry for a long time. It's like you're, like you're, you're a master of uh, the Illuminati or something. You're a master mason. And that means that you've been doing this for so long. You've gone from apprentice to journeyman to this I don't, I don't know how to describe it, Andrew. You just kind of like people listen to you a little bit more and you get to be on a lot more calls. <laughs> a lot more, hopefully, like you're a technical executive, right? With all the, all the things that go with both of those words. Yeah, that's true. So I'm learning to accept the executive responsibilities and not apologize for them. That's my personal journey for this year. And for those of you who are budding designers, um, Jen is someone you can look up to now. You could look up to her before, but really now because she's but now it's official. <laughs> she's at the pedestal now. Now that the giant corporation has decided it's okay, you can yeah quote some of my quotes. I guess maybe. Okay, spill it. I really want to hear. <laughs> okay, so so my announcement is that I am writing a book. Yay! <laughs> so the the book is going to be called uh, "Creating Virtual Assistants." At least that's the working title. Uh, uh-huh. I'm working with Manning Publications, and uh, the expected publication is third quarter of next year. Holy cow! Uh, yeah, it takes a long time to write a book. I found out. So I I started 
Um, probably around May or so. So um, during the day, it's it's day job, and at night, it's it's book job. Um, but I'm really excited to, to to write this out, put all my thoughts down on 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 paper or, or digital form, and uh, going to be covering. Uh, Lots of things, not just chatbots, but hopefully a couple other ways that we use uh, virtual assistants. Um, the, you know, the building, the designing, uh, maintenance, test, all, all sorts of aspects. So, <clears throat> oh my gosh, I'm so proud of you! Thank you. That's amazing. It is so much work. That's really a lot to take on, but it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. You let me know. I, I will let you know. It will be very shortly available in uh, what's called Manning's Early Access Program. You can essentially pre-order it, and uh, you'll get chapters trickled to you as you're av- as they're available. Um, in in a couple weeks, the first three chapters are going to come out through this program, and then, you know, like I said, a trickle through. Um, next next whatever it is that's amazing okay we'll put the link up on the thing yep. with the podcast on the, and all that. With the, thir- the person yep we'll, we'll get yeah. all the out. i don't have the link yet it's not quite out there but it's it's coming soon so so that's okay, next episode. that's that's the announcement um looking forward to to sharing it sharing it with you all yeah well we hope that you guys are out there surviving and hanging in there and i hope you had a nice uh, celebratory weekend last weekend now that the election's done and you are finding new ways to become distinguished and write things yeah absolutely um, let's do the plugs Jen I'll do the plugs <laughs> so you can find Jen at Jennifer Circus on LinkedIn you can find me at Andrew R. Freed on Twitter or the same name on LinkedIn and you can also find the, the show on LinkedIn AI Zen with Andrew and Jen and uh, uh, at Twitter as well, uh, at, Z- at AIZN Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, if there's something you'd like us to cover in the next episode or, or any future episode, please let us know. Uh, I, I do love hearing from folks. I, I, I don't hear as much through the official channels, but I, every once in a while someone says, hey, I listened to your podcast and I enjoyed it, and that just made my day. Isn't so, that nice? It's I love a beautiful that. thing. Yeah, it is. You know what feedback they are going to give us is why don't you record the damn outros? (laughs) (laughs) That'll be our goal for 2020. (laughs) There's always room to grow. (laughs) Always. Okay, Andrew, it's so fun talking to you. I will see you next time. All right. Take care, everyone. Be safe. Bye.